Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, the crew talks to Michael Horton of the White Horse Inn about being mentored by James Boyce, the holiness of God, and his recent book on John Calvin. Make sure you keep listening after the podcast for an opportunity to win a book by Michael Horton. Well, welcome. Uh, today we're broadcasting from a, a psychiatrist office somewhere in California. And the reason is that we're privileged to have on the program uh, Michael Horton of Whitehorse Inn and Westminster Seminary in California fame. Uh, welcome to the program, Mike. Thank you, Carl. I, you already have me white-knuckled with nervousness. <laughs> well, so you should be, because normally we do a psychological profile of people before they come on the program, mm-hmm. but we didn't manage to get the, uh, the Myers-Briggs type test to you in advance. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, just give you two words, and you have to choose the better of the two. Uh, you ready? No. Go ahead. <laughs> IPA or Zinfandel? Uh, Zinfandel. Okay. Um, Fox News or MSNBC? That's like death by firing squad or hanging. Beatles or Rolling Stones? Stones. Instant coffee or Starbucks? Starbucks. Justin Bieber or Jimmy Page? Who's Justin Bieber? Excellent well answer. Excellent. Ask Amy. This She'll be able healthy. to tell you. James Bond or Jack Bauer? Bond. Cigars or pipe? Cigars. Amy Bird or Gloria Furman? Who's Gloria Furman? Excellent answer. Uh, Luther or Calvin? This could be a good one for you. Luther or Calvin? It's got to be Calvin, because everything Calvin said was the good stuff from Luther, plus (laughs) Calvin. Excellent answer. OPC or PCA? And you have to answer that. This This is... just wrong what you're doing here. Well, well, you got to say OPC. Fantastic. You're in. You pass. The, the first question was a bit dubious there. I was thinking of rephrasing it as uh, IPA or foul infected water. See if I can get the right answer. But, uh, anyway, well, it's great to have you on the program, uh, Mike. Thanks. What, are, uh, what was the score? Is there a score? Or is, it, uh, is this you, just a nihilistic a exercise? Yeah, yeah. Let's just you say you, okay. you just about passed. Okay. Um, I thought the, the James Bond answer was good. Uh, the Amy Bird answer was good. I'm not persuaded by the Luther or Calvin answer, but we'll come back to that. Because ah, you are doing the Luther book. So. It's done. It's, it's done. done. It's finished. Yeah. It is finished. So. And you're, of course, referring to this great series on uh, from Crossway on uh, various uh, people in the Christian life. Of course, yep. Dr. Horton, Dr. Horton recently uh, released Calvin in the Christian life. Um, we've actually referenced it a few times on the program. Yeah, and I great think Amy stuff. has Thank referenced you. it a few times mm-hmm. on her yep. blog. Maybe you'd like to uh, speak to, to what you see as its strengths, Amy. Oh, there's so many good strengths. I don't know if I can just narrow it down to one. Um, I really enjoy Dr. Horton's books, and so I was looking forward to it. And, and then to read about Calvin on The Christian Life, uh, one thing I really took away from it that I ended up writing about was just this whole idea of orthodoxy and how now we tend to separate orthodoxy from you know doctrine from life, but how that's not what it meant for Calvin, that um, it was so united together that you can't have one without the other. And, and that's how it should be now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. 
we're um, it, it, Dr. Horton is in town for uh, the Philadelphia Excuse me conference. a second. Uh, why am I Carl and, and Mike is Dr. Horton? <laughs> oh, <laughs> see, that's very easy. That, in fact, that, I think I was referred to as a knucklehead. Yeah, well, that's on very, very easy. <laughs> it's because I have more respect for Dr. Horton. And um, so Dr. Horton is, is going to be speaking at the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. And um, one of the things that I'm fascinated about, about your, just your biography that because we're a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, I've just got to ask you to just, in a brief way, but your story of of coming into the Reformed faith, of meeting James Montgomery Boyce, to me is a fascinating story. And and I know it's not something you can sum up super quickly, but but give give the folks, give the listeners just a a taste of 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 how you were introduced to the Reformed faith and your relationship with with Jim Boyce. Thanks. Well, it it's. Uh um, still a very as, even as I was uh, coming to the PCRT, uh, the feelings not just anticipating coming to a conference, but the the warm feelings mm-hmm. of coming to the PCRT um, flooded my my memories again with um, so much uh, past that is uh, bound up with uh, with the PCRT and with the Alliance and so forth. Uh, such a privilege to be here. The the uh, I guess the, the the short version is I was uh, a very strange kid, <laughs> and uh, I uh, was, was not very interested in Reformed theology, but I was interested in, in the Bible and uh, always thought that uh, I, I knew the Bible pretty well. And then uh, my, my uh, older brother, who was uh, not... Uh, we weren't raised in the same home, and he was a bit of a you know in and out of jail kind of guy. Uh, he became a, a very transformed person, and uh, told me I had to read Romans. Hmm. And uh, so I started reading Romans. Then he had uh, some tapes from this thing called the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed hmm. Theology. So uh, I was I, I was taken by it all. And uh, st- long story short. Went to the first my first PCRT at Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church, uh, and I uh, was thirteen. And I I went up to Doctor Boyce with my silk shirt. Now anybody who knows <laughs> James Montgomery Boyce <laughs> knows that you know he he uh, was always out of style, which meant he was in style. Yeah. Brooks Brothers basically yep. was the only place to the he shot. Yes, to the manor born. And I was like to the really tacky Reno, Nevada discotheque born. So I, I walk up with my silk shirt and puka shells and an angel flight suit and, I, and my long hair. And I said, I want to uh, be a reformer too. What a stupid thing to say. You know, walk up to James Montgomery Boyce and say, I want to be a reformer too, just like you. And uh, instead of, of dismissing me mm-hmm. or, or uh, uh, leading me back to my parents, mm-hmm. he uh, said, what are you doing for lunch? I, I, I think my calendar is empty pretty much. <laughs> uh, he said, I have a sack lunch here. Would you share it with me? And so he took me down wow. into uh, one of the Sunday school rooms there, and we talked. And then after that, we uh, – uh, I thought, well, he'll never actually respond to my my letters, but uh, I sent them anyway. He responded to every letter mm-hmm. I ever sent, and then uh, my other brother traveled as a football recruiter, and I we'd go to whenever he came to Philadelphia, I'd come with him, 
and uh, have lunch uh, or dinner, dinner with Dr. Boyce and Linda Boyce sometimes. It's just amazing how mm-hmm. he uh, took me under his wing and uh, uh, went to all the other PCRTs and he introduced me to uh, to R.C. Sproul and J.I. Mm-hmm. Packer and, and started friendships with them. So it's really a, a that's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's it it I I can't thank him enough for taking time yeah. with a punk teenager. It's a great story. I mean, my thing is if nothing else happens. For the rest of the week, images of Michael Horton with puka shells. Um, I, I think I, I think we've done our work here, I, I think we, Carl. I, think we have. Uh, I don't even know what a puka shell. Oh well, so bless your the heart. Other side of the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other advantages of growing up in Britain. <laughs> well, okay, we've talked about the psychological aspects and the biological ones. I wanted to ask you a, a tough theological question. I was kind of um, giving a little plug for this conference on my blog. And one of the commenters was very excited that we were interviewing you for the podcast. And here's his comment. I really hope that you get the chance to speak with Horton. I think he has often been unfairly pegged as being weak on holiness and or sympathetic to antinomianism. And I'm very excited to hear him address this topic this weekend. How would you reply to that? Yeah, thanks for asking. I... I'm glad uh, that that you've raised that question because it's something that uh, I, I can't quite I can't quite put my finger on why I've heard that from some people. Uh, I also hear that you know uh, uh, I'm legalistic because of the the regulative principle, emphasis on the regulative principle, and uh, other matters um, uh, that you em- emphasize the third use of the law too much. Yeah. It all depends on who you're talking right. to, I guess. Right. Uh, the, the White Horse Inn is a joint operation of Lutheran, Baptist, Anglican, Reformed. We bring all of our different nuances to the table. Uh, but I think that what we have seen for the last 25 years is a lot of people who absolutely do not understand fundamentally what Christ came to do. And they confuse themselves with Jesus, and they confuse what they do with what he's done. So... We hammer that day in and day out, saying we're not a church, we're not the whole council of God, we're not, you know, but we're going to hammer on this, and uh, we're going to try to also say here are the categories. It's not, you know, justification without sanctification, but if you don't have what Christ came to do for it for us, everything else is going to just be a muddled mess, and. Uh, so that I think that's perhaps what, I, especially if people are coming at this, you know, what they think about me through the white horse in, and don't take into account that I've written a lot on the Christian life, the third use of the law, wrote a book on the Ten Commandments, uh, primarily the third use of the of the commands. Uh, but uh, I I don't mind saying that. The emphasis has been on getting the gospel right, and uh, I think that I, I think that that is a perennial challenge for us. Our default setting is not to get that right. Everything else is important. We need to talk about it. But if we don't get the gospel right, nothing else matters. That's good. I think on the podcast, on the White Horse Inn podcast. Um, so often I'm shocked when you guys conduct those interviews at conf- Christian conferences mm-hmm. and ask mm-hmm. these basic questions. Even pastors' conferences right. sometimes. And right. so many of the answers are very man-centered on you know, being a good person and mm-hmm. living 
living a good life, and it's just amazing. To it me is. When it I is. That. And I don't think antinomianism. And Carl, it'd be interesting to hear you uh, riff on this. I. I don't think I think we put it in, in the wrong categories when it's a war between antinomianism and legalism. It's confusion. It's it, it's it, it's not that people are really well thought out antinomians or really well thought, thought out legalists or moralists. It, mm. It's that uh, I I I mean I look at people I talk to who say that they don't seem to have any obligation to regular church attendance, but they're Christians. And then you find out their theology is moralistic, therapeutic deism. They're not really uh, antinomians. They haven't thought deeply they enough. They haven't thought it. about right. it. Yeah. Do you think at the root of that problem lies a, a loss of, of a concept of the holiness of God? Absolutely. That's where, that's where understanding justification or sanctification hmm. begins. Yeah, yeah. Interesting point. Yeah. And you've referenced the fact that you have written on the third use of the law. Again, I'm a bit of a book plugger, and, and I would recommend The Law of Perfect Freedom, which is Dr. Horton's book on the Ten Commandments. It gives a great explanation on the uses of the law and then, in a practical sense, ends up spending most of the time, I think, in that third use, helping to apply uh, God's moral law to the Christian uh, today. Very, It's very, very helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I am... Um, I've been helped at various times in my life by some of the things you've written. Before before we began recording, I, I spoke to you about the role that putting Amazing back into grace played in my life at a pivotal time when I was wrestling with the doctrines of grace as a Southern Baptist, and it was very helpful. As a pastor, I have found um, one of your books that's been very helpful, not just for me, but a helpful resource that I've given to a lot of people is uh, your little book, Too Good to Be True. Now, it was it was reissued in a in a different uh, title, um, uh, A Place for Weakness. It's excellent. Now, one of the things you reference is your upbringing and uh, what your parents did and and how that impacted you in some ways, um, wrestling through later about um, suffering. I wonder if you'd just share that for a moment. Yeah, they. Uh, I, I grew up in a nursing home. Uh, <laughs> my my parents during part of my life they were uh, they worked at Los Angeles Baptist College, which is now Masters College, and then we moved up to Northern California, worked for the Rescue Mission, and then moved to Lake Tahoe to work with disadvantaged kids uh, at a camp there that my parents managed, and then we went from the low end of the age spectrum to the upper end. And uh, they uh, had a, a nursing home, and yeah, I saw I saw suffering uh, close close uh, at close range, and to, to to see the difference between people dying in Christ and dying without Christ, either in a kind of existential fist shaking, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I did it my way uh, uh, send off, or uh, just really not having any hope and, and wondering if anything is true. And so uh, you got, got, I got pretty attached to a lot of those folks. Uh, and uh, I think partly because of that experience, uh, the the prosperity gospel light mm. that is in a lot of our churches uh, – you know, God wants you to be happy and healthy and fit and trim. And uh, if anything ha- bad happens to you, well, you know, you just he's he's not involved in it at all. I just thought if he's not involved in it at all, uh, then 
then he's not worth worshiping. Uh, he's capricious. Yeah. So that's uh, I. I think a lot a lot of my my being ready for reformed theology was was tr- triggered by those experiences. Do you think that has practical liturgical implications as well for the way the church worships? preparing people to die. I remember listening to a White Horse Inn some years ago now. I have to say, just as an aside, I used to listen to the White Horse Inn with the kids in the car. I've probably told you this. And whenever your voice came on, my sons would say, is that Michael Horton? And I would say, yes. And they would say, is he the enemy? And I would say, yes. So every time you spoke, they would boo <laughs> as we were driving along in the car. Thank anyway, you, Carl. That's, that, that's an aside. Thank you that's for the a... catechesis. That, uh, yeah. I just wanted to maintain the hostile relationships that's between Westminster East and Westminster Excellent. West. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> You're doing your part. Thank but, you. But I remember one of, one of you guys saying that a big part of pastoral ministry was preparing people to die. And that really stuck mm-hmm. in my imagination. Um, do you want to – could you explain? bound a little bit on that yeah well you know carl better than i do the the uh the literature of our of our tradition on dying well uh you know can you imagine a bestseller a christian bestseller today the art of dying well Hmm. and in the 17th century you do have some bestsellers by that title uh fire plague what have you we have enough disaster. It's not that we don't have enough disasters. It's that we don't have the right response for it. Mm. And it, isn't it hard to actually prepare for tragedy when it strikes? You, you really do need to prepare before tragedy strikes. And it, the problem is a lot of folks don't want to go there until it does. And then it's a little harder to to even talk about God when you're in pain. That reminds me of what Paul Wolf said when we interviewed him about cancer and how when he got that news, God had already been preparing him through the regular ministry, the preaching regular of the word, ministry. Yeah. To, and to hear those words, and that was the moment that his theology paid off. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It makes a difference, doesn't it, for mm-hmm. pastors and parishioners, if you're thinking that that what this is all about really is, is preparing preparing for glory for heaven because then you're working back from that to everything else that takes on a new significance yeah yeah i i i think the first time i was ever exposed to the concept of the ordinary means of grace was as a young southern baptist pastor and i picked up your book in the face of god and the reason why i picked it up is because i'd been so helped by putting amazing back into grace I saw this book and I thought, well, I've got to get it. And it wrecked me in the best way. But it was the first time I'd heard any reference, really, an explanation of the ordinary means of grace. And I was, first, I was angry because that was the first time I was hearing this. Um, and then secondly, it, it revolutionized the way I thought about preaching and about the ministry of the sacraments. Of course, I still could not use the word sacrament. But I, I, I wondered, how is it that I've gone this long being raised in church in a tradition that values preaching, conservative Southern Baptist Church, and yet I felt like for the first time, I'm not sure that I've been raised to value preaching, not like this. Um, 
So was, how come it took you 20 years to become a Presbyterian? <laughs> so, these, was it the money? It, it was the money in the Southern Baptist Convention. <laughs> these are hard ties to break. Oh, hard, you know. Well, you, we know you're still a theonomist. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, just uh, – okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Talking about women in the military. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that Again. makes me a theonomist, sure. Yeah. He loves to stir, stir things up, doesn't he? He does. He does. He's been a bad influence on me. Um so that's why I refuse to call him doctor. I just won't, I just will not allow. <laughs> At least you haven't called me knucklehead. <laughs> that is that is that is true. I called you both knuckleheads yeah. just for yeah. the yeah. Right. We, we did both notice yeah. that. Yeah. Incidentally, so. you know, I, I tell you when I when I think about okay, so we, we've talked about White Horse Inn, um, Westminster Seminary, California. You have about 180 books now. Um, where do you find the time? <laughs> Modern Reformation Magazine, which by the way is wonderful. Um, I, I think Modern Reformation Magazine is indispensable. Um, where do you find the time to do this? Todd's asking if you have a ghostwriter. <laughs> That's a very polite way of... Uh, That's the real question. Well, uh, Joel asked me not to mention his name, but he's my go- Joel Osteen is my ghostwriter. But, yeah, he's probably uh, sent you a lot of birthday cards. Yeah, I bet. yeah. yeah. Uh, What's your budget line for New York Times bestsellers as well? <laughs> <laughs> We're so, I'm sorry for Carl. I, we we have good lawyers. I've don't worry. I asked not to be told any of that. Um, uh, I, I think a lot of it is just the amazing staff at Whitehorse Inn. Um, I, really, it takes a lot off off of my plate, um, and uh, I think that also uh, I have a wonderful wife who is an anchor. Um, she says, I'm the tornado, and she's the, cal- <laughs> the calm uh, in the midst of the storm. And I think that's really true. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think it, it's just – it's a passion. I really – I've never written a book because I felt like I had to. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, well, it's, it's November. It must be time to write a book. It's really what's what, – what do I – do I hear out there talking to people? What do I hear people really – need to hear. And so uh, that's why it kind of goes back and forth between emphasizing this and then emphasizing that, because I think that um, I hear different uh, questions and challenges that people are are facing. And uh, at the end of the day, I think everything that I do, writing, um, speaking, whatever, is is subordinate to uh, the office of the ministry of the Word. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I can do anything to serve pastors who are serving the people of God, um, that's that's that you know of greatest concern. Mm. Well, you, you you've done that well. Um, just me as an ordinary uh, local pastor, I've benefited and continue to benefit uh, from your work, and I know a lot of pastors do. I would say me as a housewife too. Sure. One thing I really respect about um, your program and, and Modern Reformation is that you emphasize just the regular layperson. And it was such an encouragement to me as a writer when I first began writing my book. I was just a housewife in West Virginia, and the first thing I did to test my writing was I submitted an essay to Modern Reformation, and you guys published it, and it just made me feel like they really care about the regular person. They're not just looking for the academics out Mm -hmm. there, but they mean what they say. Well, and, and, you know, the, the person who's hard to find is a person like you who is uh, a, a, uh, a person who is uh, day-to-day uh, wrestling with domestic issues and yet knows probably more than a lot of 
pastors and, mm. and teachers out there. Kind of in the war zone, a little bit of ordinary life. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you know why it's important. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a credential, you know, to you. It's something that is... That right. Is, and just to know that the the professor or the pastor's teachings are trickling down and really getting absorbed mm. and then used by a regular ordinary housewife. That's good. Yeah. In her home. I just think that's so important. And it showed to me that you guys really meant what you say. That's so thank you for thanks, that. Thanks, Amy. That's Wow. I mean, I've got to get the checks out. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, I have to say, we, I won't read a book by anybody who prefers Zinfandel to IPAs. <laughs> Carl, You're done as I would as have I'm been concerned. disappointed <laughs> if you hadn't just torpedoed that whole love fest right there. Uh, well, I, I was wondering if, if, if Michael was actually just trying to test uh, Carl at that point. but um, uh, you, you, I did pause. At least I did pause. I hardly dare he, ask if you And he didn't ask if it was a California. <laughs> I, what was it? A, the geography is French, irrelevant. Was, it's, <laughs> it's an abomination. Trust me on this. <laughs> a French Burgundy? Oh, no, I a mean, French Burgundy. Is that, I, okay, but if... but. That wasn't but the question. But that's not a Zinfandel. Right, okay. No, Zinfandel is pink. You shouldn't drink pink drinks. It's as simple as that. Before we close, I just yeah. wanted to um, say that we've also been talking about social media and its impact on the church, and you're going to speak tomorrow. So I was wondering what your tweetable line was. Yeah, what's the tweetable? <laughs> <laughs> we want to be able to sum this up Horton in a tweet. The Michael tweetable line. Yeah. Yeah. God it's is the most terrifying dead. question yeah. I've ever been asked. I know. That's why I asked. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we're, um, we're really glad uh, you spent some time with us, uh, Dr. Horton. It's been uh, great to have you on. Again, to our listeners, uh, we just commend to you uh, uh, Michael Horton's labors. Uh, his books are well worth reading. Modern Reformation is a gem. White Horse Inn uh, has become indispensable. And uh, thanks so much for, uh, for spending time with us. And we just look forward to, God willing, you continuing to give us th- that is the church. Uh, great material. We're um, we are happy to uh, be uh, providing copies of Dr. Horton's newest book, Calvin on the Christian Life. It's a part of a terrific series. And um, if you would like to win a copy of Calvin on the Christian Life, then just go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, and uh, enter for a drawing uh, for some copies of this terrific new book. And until then, we'll be happy to talk to you all later. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold to the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Don't forget to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. There you can enter for a chance to win Calvin on the Christian Life by Michael Horton. Amy Bird recommends it. Oh, there's so many good strengths. I don't know if I can just narrow it down to one. Um, I really enjoy Dr. Horton's books, and so I was looking forward to it. Next week on the program, the gang is joined by Rachel Miller to speak out against a dangerous, growing movement in the Reformed Church. Maybe you want to talk about some of the dangers that are in this doctrine? Just discovering a brand new culture that's been going on that I've been completely unaware of. It's abusive. Well, how is it abusive? Well... It's abusive emotionally, it's abusive spiritually, it's abusive, or it leads to physical abuse, and this is one right. aspect for one extreme of it. But it is there. It, it, it is a natural well, progression. I would not be comfortable 
uh, in anybody holding to, to patriarchal views, holding office in my congregation. That's next week on Mortification of Spin. And don't forget to go to our website and enter that book drawing, and we'll talk to you again next week. Luther's just more fun. Luther's more fun. Just more fun. Yeah, well, that's that's true.